Good morning. Good morning. If you would remain standing with me as we read God's word together. Uh, my name is Ben Wish. I'll serve as an elder here. Um, I'm going to be reading from Galatians chapter 5. If you're using one of those blue Bibles in the pew, that is page number 567. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm also uh, introducing our speaker this morning, uh, Cameron Johnson. Um, Cameron and his wife, Courtney, live in Covington. Um, he is there for our cameras from Kansas City, Missouri. Uh, they moved out here about a year after we did in 2018. So I don't know if there's some influence there. You never know. Um, he currently serves as the Director of Student Ministry at Redeemer Church uh, in Bellevue, and he also teaches 7th and 9th grade Bible classes at Summit Classical Christian School. I believe he has some cairns as some students. Um, he's also a student at Western Seminary. He's uh, finishing up one class away from getting his master's in theological and biblical studies. Um, and uh, he and his wife, Courtney, have a six-month-old son named Cooper. So um, Cameron and I knew each other. We weren't super close, but we both were involved in, in student ministry at our church in Kansas City, also called uh, Redeemer, oddly enough. So um, I, I remember, what I remember about Cameron is like he was, he was the goofy guy that actually wanted to hang out with middle schoolers, which I still don't understand because middle schoolers are hard. But, um, but no, we, we, got, we got reconnected recently um, after Jared, uh, a good friend of mine, of both of ours, was up here over the summer. He kind of got us reconnected. We had lunch together, and I just remember, man, the, the guy that I remember from Kansas City that was kind of that goofy middle school, like still that, that passion for family and kids is there, but there's like way more maturity. So um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that means, but, but no, I'm, I'm excited to have, have came up here today. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Am I on? Okay, cool. Yeah, I don't know if I feel complimented. Um, or what by that, but no. Uh, thanks, Ben. Uh, it's really good to be with you guys this morning. Um, so if whoever scarf this is in the first row, if it's covered in slobber at the end, then that's on you, ultimately. So, um, oh, it's you, okay, so you're cool with it. Yeah, you're like, that's why I brought it. Okay, awesome. Uh, hey, let's go ahead and get things uh, started. So uh, the first time I, can rem uh, I remember realizing my great need for faithfulness was in middle school, actually, um, speaking of middle schoolers. <clears throat> my dad made the unfaithful decision to not only divorce my mother, but to remove himself from my life entirely. 
And one night at youth group, feeling the weight of his absence from my life, um, I went outside to be alone. But one faithful man of God in my life, my small group leader at the time, he stepped outside to meet me out there, knowing full well why I was out there. There are many things he could have said to me in that moment, uh, and what he did say is branded to me, um, branded on me to this day. He said this, there isn't one person in my life who won't in some way let me down. There isn't one person in my life I, I won't disappoint or be unfaithful to in some way. But God is the only one who is completely faithful. Brothers and sisters, this morning my hope and prayer is that we will above all be captivated by how faithful God is despite our unfaithfulness. And that as we consider our own need to become faithful through the transforming work of the Spirit, we will do so boasting in the cross of Christ. So um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us. And so if you will, please pray with me. Father, you're a faithful God. You're a faithful God. You are a God of steadfast faithfulness. That's revealed to us all throughout your word. The story of the Bible is that you are faithful even when man is not, or despite the fact that man is not. Um, and, and only in you is our hope to know faithfulness and to um, even be transformed and grow in that ourselves. I pray for everyone in this room and where their hearts are at. Only you know that, oh God. Um, and so we entrust everything to you and this to you, oh God. And um, I pray that if there's any resistance in this room um, towards knowing you as faithful, God, that, that you would be revealed this morning through your word as faithful. And if there's anyone in this room who is currently um, struggling with their own unfaithfulness, oh God, would you remind them of your grace um, and remind them of the forgiveness that they have only in Christ and call them and exhort them to faithfulness and show them what that looks like clearly. This is all only a work that you can do, God, by your spirit. So um, we pray and we leave it up to you. I pray all of this in the mighty and holy name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So how are you trying to live the Christian life? Are you trying to live it and end it the way it began through faith in Christ? Or what do you think it takes ultimately to stay in Christ, to stay in Christ? This is ultimately the question that Paul is addressing in Galatians. Um, and perhaps saying addressing a question is a light way to put it because he's rather fiery. These young new believers, they eagerly and readily received the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then another group came in and unbeknownst to these new believers, convinced them of what Paul refers to as a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all, a false gospel. And here's the problem with this different gospel. At face value, it, doesn't, um, it wasn't changing the message of how you come to Christ, but how you stay in Christ. It says that though you receive the Spirit by faith, you are perfected by the law. That's a lie. It is com as it is commonly put, this different gospel that these Gentile believers had been duped into believing is Jesus plus the law equals your salvation, your justification, sanctification, and would one day result in your glorification. But Paul writes to them to say that they have been convinced of a lie that if believed will result in their damnation if they're convinced of it. 
What they needed to be reminded of and what we need to be reminded of is that the Christian life is lived the same way it began, and that's by boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ, by faith in the person and work of Jesus from start to end. Now, that is about as much of summarizing of Galatians as I'll do for now, but I will say this. I want to point out to you the verse that I think that there is, if there's one verse to memorize from the book of Galatians, uh, because it captures the entire message of the book so well, and and ultimately is what Paul is unpacking in this letter, and which also brings us to the passage we'll be looking at today, it's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, and it says this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is this verse that I submit to you is the very thing that Paul is making his case for in this fiery, heartfelt letter where he's fighting for their hearts to to walk in the freedom that Christ has given them. So you guys have been in a series um, on the fruit of the Spirit, and, um, and what a good thing for God's people to do. What I love most about it is that you guys are taking seriously our need to become like Jesus. For that's the very um, work of the Spirit in us, is to transform us into his image, into the image and likeness of Jesus. That's the goal of the Spirit inside of you. And my task this morning is to place a focus on faithfulness. My main point for us today is this. It's that those who are in Christ live by the Spirit, which produces faithful people. Those who are in Christ live by the Spirit, which produces faithful people. So we're actually going to begin in chapter 5, verse 16. So if you have a Bible in front of you or there's one nearby, then go ahead and grab that and I'll give you a second to open up um, to chapter 5, verse 16 of Galatians. We'll begin here so that we can kind of get a context of the fruit of the Spirit and then we'll zoom in and place faithfulness under the microscope, so to speak. Verse 16 starts out like this. It says, but I say, this is Paul speaking to Galatian, to these believers in Galatia, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So right away, this section opens up with an exhortation, a command to walk by the Spirit, to live their life according to the Holy Spirit. Paul has spent his entire letter convincing them that they are no longer under the law, but they are under grace. And here he is finally giving them instructions on how to live in the freedom they have in Christ. And Paul's answer um, to how to live and walk in the freedom of Christ is to walk by the Spirit. Every Christian everywhere at all times, places, and circumstances will always experience this competing desire that, um, between the desires of the flesh and the desires of the spirit. And that's the, the issue that he raises here. In verse 17, it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So there's this, there's this tension he's building and he's raising, and there's, he's saying we all, right now, we, ha- we, we live um, in a time where we're always going to be fighting between these two desires. But verse 18 is, is one that we can find our confidence in. It, it, it's the resolution uh, to the conflict raised in, in, raised in verse 17 as it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not 
under the law. This is a statement that we can find um, great confidence in. That all who are in Christ, um, because of the spirit inside of you, you have freedom. You're not under the law, and that old system of the law no longer applies. This is what we need to understand about our sanctification. It means that you have the ability. What Paul's saying here is you have the ability to please God. You have the ability to please God. You have the ability to please God. You have the ability. Okay, so um, the reason I'm emphasizing that so much is because apart from Christ, you can't. Apart from Christ, you cannot please God. You're evil. You're far from God. You're dead in your sins. You're caught dead in your trespasses. You cannot please God. Can you do something good if you don't know Christ? Sure, according to God's grace and his common grace to all people, right? So you cannot please God apart from Christ. But once you do receive the gift of faith um, and you are placed in Christ, you belong to Christ, you can please God. Yes, yes. But in the meantime, you can also still displease God. So before Christ, cannot please God. In Christ, I can. I have the ability only according to to the work of the Spirit inside of me. Um, And then one day, that, that place of glorification that will only happen when Jesus comes back and finally makes all things right, there will, there will be a day where all you can do is please God. That's the goal. That's the end goal of the work of the Spirit inside of you. And now in verse 19, um, Paul continues to unpack the two competing desires. He starts with the works of the flesh. He says, they're evident. They're obvious in a sense. They look like this, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. A few observations I want to make of this list. Number one, he says works of the flesh. I think this is important to note to Paul's overall point and the contrast that he wants to make between what is of the flesh and what is of the spirit. More on that in a minute when we get to the brute of the spirit. Wink, wink. Number two, this is a vice list, a list of vices. It is common to other um, list Paul makes in which um, he, he draws the conclusion, and those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there's sort of this um, end times warning there if you continue to persist in these sins. The best way to think about a vice is that it is a bit deeper of a problem than I did something bad or I make bad decisions on occasion or I have sins that I struggle with. A vice is something that uh, uh, is something bad people do, not something that good people do sometimes. It's a bit deeper than that problem. And it's an important distinction to understand in what Paul is saying here, and then how it'll relate to virtue. Number three, you cannot link any, each of these with something from the list of the fruit of the Spirit as its opposite. For one, this is a much longer list than um, Paul provides when he gets to the fruit of the Spirit. So when we get to talking about faithfulness, I can't go, just don't do fits of anger and you will be faithful. Of course, a faithful person isn't throwing in the midst of throwing fits of anger, but it isn't necessarily the antithesis of faithfulness All of these things are the antithesis of all of the things in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. Number four, this is not an exhaustive list. 
Notice that he said, and things like these, and good thing, because I got tired, I was running out of breath as I was reading that, Um, so the list could go on. Lastly, the last observation I'm making of this list in particular, um, this is probably the most important observation that I'm going to make. We all have, do, and will participate in these works of the flesh until Jesus comes back and makes all things right. You see, according to this list, we're all counted guilty. But the good news that Paul is preaching to us us in this passage is that we are free from this sin because we no longer live under the law, but under grace. So there may be some of you in this room right now who may be so far deep into any number of the things on the list or things like them that you may believe it would be too much work and too difficult to come back from and honestly believe, uh, maybe you believe that God is done with you because of the depths of your sin and just how deep of the hole you've dug yourself in. But let me remind you of this. Back in uh, chapter five, verse uh, verse 11, the chapter we're in, verse 11, Paul refers to the offense of the cross. Well, one of the things that makes the cross offensive is that um, because of it, there is no height, there's no depth that can separate us from the love of God. It's offensive in the sense of how much sin and the depth of sin it actually covers. Because of the cross, there is no offense too great that you cannot look at it, you cannot look at the cross of Christ and see that whatever sin that you are caught in right now is paid for. So perhaps what you need to do, the call to you, is to believe the cross and come out of darkness. Now, as we turn to verse 22, we see um, the list of the, the fruit of the Spirit. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, the best one, obviously, because I'm preaching on it today. Gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. There is that reminder again that we are not under the law. It's as if Paul thinks that's worth emphasizing or something. I don't know. Now, let me make a few observations of this list, as I did with, with the previous one. And then finally, what you guys all came for this morning, we'll zoom in and we'll touch down on faithfulness, okay? Number one, unlike the list of vices, this is a list of virtues, And to be a virtuous person is not uh, just uh, someone who does good things. Rather, you are the kind of person who does good things. Number two, uh, notice that it says fruit, not fruits. I think this is an important um, thing to notice. A fruit stand, singular, has several fruits, plural, but the fruit of the Spirit is marked by many things, yet is one fruit. All of these things come about and are produced by following the Spirit. So think about it like this. It's a lot like Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 when he says, Seek first the kingdom of God and, and, right, uh, and righteousness, and these things will be added to you as you do that. Well, here it's saying, Walk by the Spirit, and it will turn out that you become loving, joyful, peaceful, so on and so forth. These are the types of things that you will see and those who walk by the Spirit. This keeps, us, this keeps us from letting ourselves off the hook and thinking of these, of these things like gifts of the Spirit, right? There's a distinction between a gift of the Spirit and, and the fruit of the Spirit. A gift of the Spirit, you can say, I don't have that gifting. You cannot do that. 
with, the list, uh, with, with this list, the fruit of the Spirit. You can't go, I'm crushing it with joy. I light up a room. <laughs> and then look at another part of the fruit, fruit. And maybe you are. Okay, great. Um, and, but you cannot you just, just look at these things this way and say, I'm not required to have these things. Yes, you are. This is the work of the, of the Spirit in you. This is what it's meant to produce. Okay, next thing is that this also is not an exhaustive list. We know that because he says, against such things. Against such things. There is more that could be said that is true of one who is led by the Spirit. Number four, in living by the Spirit and producing these things, the vices will be held at bay. If these virtues are true of you, and you are actively living any of them out by virtue of the fact that you are living them out, you are not participating in works of the flesh. Number five, and this is perhaps the most important observation I'll make of this list, doing these things, if you're loving, if you're peaceful, if you're joyful, if you're faithful, they do not make you right with God. If you view the fruit of the Spirit like this, that would be to slip back into law-based, into a law-based way of thinking. If we looked at this list, if we said, if I do these things, then I'll be righteous, that is not the gospel. No. These things, um, <clears throat> these are things that one who has been made righteous and therefore called to walk by the Spirit, which they've been gifted with by grace through faith in Christ. That's what these things are for. We're all guilty of believing um, after we've been successfully loving or faithful that as a result, we must be righteous, right? I know I'm guilty of that. But that's not the gospel. That would be to be living under the law type of thinking. But under grace, we are a people who have been set free from sin and therefore follow the Spirit and produce these things. The Spirit produces them. Okay. Those are my observations of the list. Now, I hope you guys have heard and will hear some good sermons on everything um, in, the, in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, the different virtues besides faithfulness, because that's my, that's my job today. And as we consider faithfulness, here are the three questions that I'm seeking to answer. Number one, what is faithfulness? What is faithfulness and what does it look like? What is faithfulness and what does it look like? That's number one. Number two, why would we be tempted to not be faithful? Why would we be tempted to not be faithful? And number three, what will it take to be faithful? First question, what is faithfulness and what does it look like? Now, this will probably be the Bible nerdiest part of my sermon, I promise. The Greek word translated as faithfulness here is pistis which is a word for faith, belief, and trust. Paul's use of pistis is ubiquitous. That means it's all over the place in Galatians, and it is absolutely central to his theology. And as is true for every word um, in, in the scriptures, <clears throat> the sense in which we interpret it is determined by context. The context of this use of pistis is the same for all of these virtues, and it, and it is most clearly seen um, in uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, if you want to look with me there. It says this, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. 
So all of these things, faithfulness included, are about you in relationship to other people. This is not about the, about the gift. Uh, it's not about the gift of faith by which you are saved. That's important. But it's about faithfulness towards one another. Martin Luther is helpful here as he says this. He says, clearly Paul is not speaking about faith in Christ, but of fidelity and humanity of one person toward another. Those who have this faithfulness are not suspicious, but mild and take all things at their best. For example, although they may have been deceived or find that they have been mocked, they are, they are patient and soft, so they let it pass. They are ready to believe everyone, but do not trust all. Where this virtue is lacking, people are suspicious, they're wayward and obstinate, and will not believe anything or give way to anybody. That's never more true than in traffic, okay? Whatever a person says or does, however well, they slander it. Whoever does not satisfy their whims can never please them. Therefore, it is impossible for them to practice love, friendship, unity, and peace with people. But if these virtues are taken away, what is this life but biting and devouring one another? Faithfulness, therefore, in this verse means one person gives credit to another in things pertaining to this present life. Here, Luther not only defines faithfulness to be about fidelity and humanity toward one another, but also describes what a person who possesses the virtue of faithfulness is like. He says, they're not suspicious, but take things at their best. They operate with trust towards others, assuming the best. And even if they have experienced uh, reasons not to, <clears throat> they're concerned about others satisfying their desire, sorry, sorry, they're not concerned about others um, satisfying their desires, but rather concerned with fulfilling the desires of the Spirit. You won't hear them saying a bad word about others. That's convicting. And what I love, I just, I love how um, Luther here, he asks the question, what is left if you remove this virtue? And he says, backbiting and devouring one another. Two phrases that sound awfully animalistic and base. Here's the thing, though. I, I don't think, I, I think we should hardly need help imagining what we're like when we lack this virtue, should we? As I read that, can you not picture yourself and what you are like when you live with a, disposi a disposition of suspicion towards others, especially those of you you are closest with? or when you are viewing others' uh, main purpose in your life to be for satiating your desires? I mean, these are the very things, the very attitudes and things like these that are essentially the problem in our relationships. Now, just imagine the flip side. Imagine the healing that would occur if two people, um, whether it be a friendship or marriage or coworkers or brothers and sisters in Christ in this church body, if they both possess the virtue of faithfulness, um, the, the healing that would take place, even if one person in that relationship were to embrace this. And finally, the word faithful, faithfulness also con, uh, connotes loyalty and dependability. So ask yourself this question of self-examination. What do people expect from you? What do they expect from you? What do they expect from you if they're hurting? What would they expect from you? If you said you would get back to them, can they actually depend on that? Even, the, even those texts. 
Would you be someone people would call when they are in any kind of bind? Consider this. Can people expect you to humble yourself and repent? That's all part of faithfulness. What can people expect from you? So now we must ask, why would someone be tempted to live otherwise? Why would someone be tempted to not be faithful? The answer is very clear in the text, and Paul's answer to this question is the desires of the flesh. We're tempted first and foremost because we still live in a time where the flesh lies close at hand. In other words, evil lies close at hand, and this is true until Jesus comes back. So think about it this way. When you know you've failed to be virtuous and faithful, what is your excuse? How do you confess and repent, so to speak? Do you recognize and consider that you are more than likely, um, like absolutely dealing with a competing desire, a, de- um, a desire that wars with the, with the spirit inside of you? Do you recognize it that way when you, when you fail? Do you think to yourself, man, I must be struggling with a competing desire of the flesh? Is that what comes into your mind? I think that, that there's a warning here. Um, uh, this is something clear, that, clarifying that this scripture does for us. We live in an age um, that, that uh, I would call, there's many ways to, uh, to label our age, but one of those ways is the therapeutic age, the therapeutic age. And what I mean by that is that um, we live in a time where, where everybody's really into their, their stories of origin and everybody uh, is in, it, like getting a therapist and being in counseling is uh, super popular right now, which, you know, that has a lot of benefits to it. I'm not saying that that's bad, but um, in the therapeutic age, I think that Christians can sometimes, when they're in sin, they can first go, man, I really need healing from fill in the blank, and I need to work through that, and I need to figure out how that works out in my family of origin. I need to talk to my counselor, my, therapy, my, my uh, therapist, and, um, and stuff like that. Is that bad? No, but it is, it is bad if you aren't able in your sin to recognize the competing desire of the flesh that's going on. Here's the deal. We have a tendency in our sin to minimize our battle with the flesh, That's something that sin would love to produce in you. We take it too lightly. You know this is is you if in your wrongdoing, in your shortcoming, your impulse isn't to consider the fleshly desire that is trying to keep you from fulfilling the desire of the Spirit. I know my tendency to minimize the desires of the flesh most with the person that I have to apologize to more than anyone else, my wife. When I react to, react to her sinfully and treat her like enemy number one of my whims and desires, um, so often my apology, which at times can hardly be called that, I'm not readily admitting the desire of the flesh that I'm trying to satisfy. Rather, I'm resorting to the old way and saying, oh, I'm so sorry I reacted like that because uh, I just thought, I thought you were fill in the blank. Now, I know none of you can relate with that, so hopefully you can think of your own example. That was a joke. Um, But let me just say this. If you were able to name the desire, name the sin that won in instances like these, how much more likely is it that you would put off that sin and put on the new self, which it would include faithfulness? 
I submit to you that it'd be a lot more likely because you are exposing the works of darkness for what they really are. That's what Paul's doing in this text. Now, this leads us to our final question regarding faithfulness, which is, what does it take? What does it take to be faithful? And once again, we already have the answer to this question. The answer is to walk by the Spirit. So the question is this, are you walking by the Spirit? How does the Spirit lead us? This is a subject that's worth several more sermons on, so I'll just leave you guys with two things, maybe three, um, to consider. Number one, the Spirit primarily works through God's ordinary means of grace, which there's at least three, okay? I always say, like, I got three points, but there's three under that. Okay, Um, number one is His Word. The Spirit is the one by uh, by whom we are led to God's Word and who who illuminates our understanding of it. The, The second means of grace is prayer, prayer. It is through prayer that repentance takes place. And by the way, repentance um, isn't just a one-time thing you do at your conversion. There's this idea that all of life is repentance, that we continually turn away from sin and back towards faith and trust in God and live like it. The third means of grace is community, the church. It is in the church that you're primarily meant to find people to imitate, Imitate. You should imitate those who are like Jesus and who embody the faithfulness of Jesus. The the list of the fruits of the Spirit, you guys, is the list of things that Jesus possessed that we see most clearly in the person and work of Jesus. And you're meant to be made into his image. Um, One scholar says this. He says, all the New Testament data on change is given to us in the plural. We are changed or transformed in community. But even that is too vague. We are changed in the context of the church. The church. You cannot learn to live this way or become faithful apart from community, apart from being in the church. That's how God has designed it. It's not something that man came up with. My second consideration uh, is mostly rooted in the word walk, walk by the Spirit. Just consider that metaphor a bit more with me. Walking gives us the sense that it is a, move, it is a moment-by-moment endeavor, a step-by-step endeavor. You guys, if, you've been, if you grew up a Christian, you know the song? Step-by-step you lead me. Okay, I'll stop there. You're welcome. Okay. <laughs> so... Walking by the Spirit is a step-by-step, a moment-by-moment endeavor. This means that you can't always calculate exactly what it looks like to follow the Spirit in every moment, can you? I mean, that's the nature of the Spirit, isn't it? That you would not just depend on the Spirit um, in one position, but your dependability upon the Spirit um, happens each step in walking in moment-by-moment where you go, I don't know how that's going to go. I know that I'm going to have conflicting desires that I deal with (laughs) in the midst of whatever it is you're going into or whatever, but but there's a dependability upon the Spirit that takes place moment by moment. So how should we think about that when it comes to faithfulness? I think we should consider that when it comes to faithfulness in the small things, 
the small things. Faithfulness in the small things. I hope that you guys don't just think about faithfulness in these big one-moment decisions or the biggest decisions in your life, like marriage and um, where you're going to live, what job you're going to take, what church you're going to go to, what community you're going to belong to, and the list could go on, and things like these, okay? But that you would consider um, God forming you, the Spirit of God forming faithfulness in you in very small things. What can that look like? I have a few examples for you. One, eye contact. You guys are like, whoa, dang. Okay, so eye contact um, is, is this physical thing that it shows that you're giving someone your undivided attention. That's faithfulness to your brother and sister in Christ. It is. Faithfulness can also, and the small things can look like calling someone just to see how they're doing. Weird, I know, but I dare you. I double dog dare you, okay? Faithfulness looks, looks like, looks, it, it's captured most in the little things, in the day-by-day small things. If you only make it about big moments of your life, you actually will not be um, a faithful person. You won't. You have to be conscientious of it in each moment of your life, not working harder, but getting there by dependence upon the Spirit. So that is how the Spirit, I think, at least a few things to consider when it comes, and maybe in your small group discussions this week, um, or whatever that looks like, to consider these things. Verse 24 um, concludes our passage, and it says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. So though we fail, we have decisive victory over the flesh. Verse 24 sounds like this this statement of completion, as if you're complete right now. Doesn't it? Doesn't it sound like that? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it does. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, I mean, that's past tense language, have crucified the flesh with its passions and and desires. That's conflicting with our current experience, perhaps. Recently, I was reminded of this, and this is what I'm going to leave you guys with, that there are two things that God sees when he he looks at you. There's two things that God sees when he looks at you. First thing is he sees you in process. He sees you in process. The process of sanctification, the process of becoming holy, the process of being made into the image of Christ. The second thing he, see, he sees when he looks at you, which he sees both of these at the same time, by the way, so don't get weird about first and second, but he sees the finished product. He sees, when he looks at you, he sees the finished product, a fully faithful, and then insert your name there, okay? That's what he sees. Well, why does he see that? Because those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Well, how is that? Because you belong to Christ Jesus. It is only in Christ that this can be, two things can be simultaneously true of you, that you are in process and that that you're a completed product. That's amazing. 
That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's only true for those who have faith in Jesus. That only comes up, your only place, your position in life, your ontological position is changed only through faith in Christ. You are placed in Christ and you have his righteousness and his goodness placed on you only through faith in Jesus. I hope that if you do have faith in Jesus this morning, that you find great hope in that and confidence in that and that you find a motivation to be more dependent upon the Spirit than you walked in here already dependent upon. The other thing is that if you are not a Christian, to hear an invitation to place your faith in Jesus, to place your faith in Jesus. Jesus went to the cross to cover your sins, but also um, to be resurrected and ascended on high and go to the right hand of the Father so that he could send the helper, the Spirit, which helps you in this process and seals you and guarantees you for the day of your glorification when Jesus comes back and makes all things right. And he sees you in perfection now as he looks upon you and your identity in Jesus. And it's in that um, that we go to the table and we're reminded of and we celebrate in communion. The Lord's Supper, I'm not sure what you guys call it, but they mean the same thing. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and and pray for us and I think there's a minute of a moment of silence and and then you guys um, can uh, uh, direct your attention to the screen to see uh, the directions when it comes to how, to how to participate in communion with us this morning. So if you will, please pray with me. Jesus, you have changed our highest station. We were once low and caught dead in our sin, but by grace through faith, we are in you. There is nothing more significant than that change in our life. There's nothing that holds um, a greater implication upon us right now and forever. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ in this room that we would be uh, led by your spirit. We would be encouraged and, and have the courage to walk by the spirit, to put off the things of the flesh, and to live faithfully. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all, and we are his.